Welcome to the Mojas Druitt Family Team podcast series. I'm Victoria Cobham. And I'm Elizabeth Dowler. And in this podcast series, we're going to be explaining a little bit more about some key family law topics to give people more of an understanding about their money and their life. Some of the things that we've covered in our podcast, that are they are quite complex subjects. And obviously, you and I do this every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to us, obviously, it's second nature. But I think what would be quite helpful is if we put it into you know a real-life scenario. Kind of plucked this one out of my head. And I just thought, so if we think about, we've got a husband and wife. And there's two children. Both children are in primary school. Okay. In the situation we're talking about today, the husband is the main earner and the wife is the caregiver for the small children. So if you imagine we've got a house with, say, £250,000 of equity. Husband earns well, so he's earning £50,000 per annum, and he's able to support the family from that, so wife is able to look after the children, and he's got a large pension. So probably both got ideas about how we would solve this for our clients. So if yeah, we, and if those we, ideas may well differ. They may be able to differ. So I think let's kind of kick off with thinking about how we would divide the capital in this case. Yeah, so so sort of using the mechanisms, as it were, that we've sort of talked about, so dividing the assets up into three different tranches, like you say, first tranche capital. So in this case, I can see that we've got sort of equity in the family home of 250,000. And again, it's... It's going to be a needs-based case. You know, there aren't there aren't millions of pounds here um, to go over and above needs. It, it really is priority. You know, housing. So mm. obviously, uh, wife here is the main caregiver of two very young children, and the court are going to be predominantly concerned with ensuring that the children are housed. Yeah, now, what we need to understand is, you know, are they sat in a million-pound house with two hundred and fifty thousand pounds of equity? Or are they in a house worth £280,000 with £250,000 of equity? Because what what I would expect is that actually if it's a, a, a large house that's actually too large for now, now that they're separating someone's needs, that, that we might be looking to downsize. Mm. Um, alternatively, you know, if, if it's a three-bedroom property... Mm. Um, and, and particularly if the, if the children are different sexes and they, they need a, a, a separate bedroom each, then probably we need to think about, you know, is the wife going to be able to downsize? Probably not. Yeah. And therefore, do we need to look actually at uh, almost a, a, a short-term solution and a longer-term solution? Mm. Um, so really, it's going to be, you know, how are these children going to be housed? Is there any equity to enable you know, some equity to be leased to the dad now, or is that going to need to wait? Yeah, so I think what's interesting about this case is, obviously in terms of the family home, we've got the law which tells us that the starting point for dividing a family home is 50-50. Mm-hmm. If we were to divide this property 50-50, the question is, are either of them going to be able to rehouse yeah, absolutely. That? And I think that would be, for me, if I was representing the wife, the, the real worry here is how do we ensure that we're stretching the resources to ensure that everyone has some kind of home to be able to, to live in? I think in terms of this case, if there is quite limited equity and there's not enough for both of them to rehouse immediately, I guess the next question is to think about the income. Obviously, the income is going to be important because if wife isn't earning, she's unlikely to have any kind of mortgage capacity. Whereas husband, if he's earning well, is going to have a mortgage capacity. And that 
becomes quite a relevant factor when we're talking about how we divide up the capital in the family home. Because if, if you know, husband can go away and borrow, say, £200,000, potentially all he needs is a small deposit to be extracted from the matrimonial home. So I think for me that would be quite an interesting discussion point is to ensure that when to find out what everyone's mortgage capacities are. Yeah. Because ultimately I think the courts are going to want to ensure that wife and the children are housed first. But I also think it's important to be mindful of husband's needs as well. Actually, if we can also get him housed in a property that he's able to buy, you know, my sense is, in my opinion, is that the court may want to stretch those resources to be able to enable them both to have a property, although wife is going to potentially have more of the equity. Absolutely. And obviously it's again it's thinking about the children as a priority and it's going to be important that they see mum and dad both have adequate housing for them to you know, be able to spend time with them. You know, it's it's not going to be appropriate, you know, if, if we can stretch resources for dad to have a one-bedroom flat and then children aren't really going to be able to come and stay and have appropriate sort of accommodation. So I completely agree with you that if we can stretch things, then, then that would be something to explore. Sometimes it isn't possible. Um, sometimes you actually need to look at... Um, the family home perhaps being retained for a period of time until perhaps the children are at secondary school or finished secondary school and at which point it's sold um, and the equity divided at that point. Um, But the court, we are finding the court are less inclined to make mm. those sorts of orders that they're known in family proceedings as, as measure orders i.e family homes retained and sold at a later date and then each party get their money at a later date um, but again I think the court are trying to steer away from there being a financial link sort of between the parties and continuing so that's why I think Elizabeth's approach of you know if we can actually come to a solution whereby both parties get some capital to allow them to rehouse now, mm. albeit it's going to be an unequal shares, um, then that would be the best result. So I think that's sort of capital, as it were. Mm. What you know, What's your view on how the court might deal with the income on this one? Do you think wife would have a spousal maintenance claim? I you know, wonder if, how we would we deal with this. So again, if we remember, there are two different types of, of maintenance in family proceedings. There's child maintenance for mm. the children, and that's that's a you know it's set by the child maintenance service. It's it, there's a calculator online that you can go online and type your information in, and it will tell you how much is is, is due. That element's almost kind of non-negotiable. Isn't exactly, it? it's a, absolute. It's a basic, um, and it's calculated as you say by a government government body, and that's almost a given, isn't it? Yeah. So child maintenance is almost is it's going to you know be paid if there is an unequal care arrangement between Absolutely. the parties. Absolutely, and it doesn't matter if the primary carer is a millionaire, mm. it still needs to be paid. It's not, it's not means tested as such. But um, what we're obviously discussing is, is would there be any element of spousal maintenance, i.e. just for the wife? And I think, I think that's a really tricky one in this sort of case because obviously husband is earning a, a good salary, mm. but actually if he's going to have to get a £200,000 mortgage, mm. then he's going to have to factor in those mortgage repayments that obviously the wife hasn't got. Mm. But equally, if the wife has never earned, then she's not going to suddenly be able to, you know, earn, you know, twenty, thirty thousand pounds or anywhere near the husband's salary, um, you know, for you know, if ever, but certainly for a number of years. Yeah. And it's really striking that balance because obviously she has potential. You know, if we're discussing this, then she's getting a much larger portion of the capital. Mm. 
what you would often try to achieve if someone's getting such a, a bigger part of the capital is a clean break yeah. because in effect you've said okay you have much more capital in lieu of spousal maintenance now I don't know if that's possible here I think we'd need to explore a number of things. I think definitely we'd need to explore a number of things. I think including wife's benefits entitlement. Absolutely. Because actually, you know, sometimes if she's able to meet her needs through a combination of, say, child maintenance, potentially some part-time work if that was viable and top up from benefits, we may find ourselves in a position where she is able to or just about meet her needs. And I think this is where it's important to sometimes be quite creative it's about looking at more than one option and coming up with a a solution that almost works for everyone Mm -hmm. and I think when things are quite tight um, financially you 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 know you have to think about different ways around the problem and ultimately it's about meeting needs as far as we possibly can and also ensuring that uh, resources are explored from all sources Mm -hmm. so as I say it's not just it's looking at the wife's maximising her income, but that's from all sources. So whether that's from the state or whether that's from employment or a combination of both, you know, we need, you know, in order for both parties to move forward, everything needs to be explored. Absolutely. Um, And we also, you know, quite often a wife in this situation is quite concerned because, you know, they'll say, well, yes, I can go out and, and, and earn, but every amount that I earn is going to come off my benefits or Mm. um, every amount I earn I'm going to have to then put into childcare because I'm going to be working so there are just so many sort of facets to this you know there's so much to explore and it's again why there's not one size fits all Um, I think what you know again assuming that the wife were able to to perhaps work a little bit and also get some benefits and she were able to meet her needs on the basis she doesn't have a rental mortgage to pay and she's getting child maintenance as well, mm. obviously. Then what we would probably look um, to do is, is is to have something called a nominal spousal maintenance order. I don't know if you want to sort of explain that a little bit more. Yeah, so a nominal spousal maintenance order is quite an unusual legal concept, really. I think it's something that people struggle, understandably, to, to understand. So what it is, is whereby, so in this case, husband would have a court order made against him that he has to pay one pound a year to his wife and obviously that sounds like a ridiculous thing because you couldn't even buy a starbucks with that (laughs) but essentially what it is is a legal mechanism which keeps your spousal maintenance claims open so if you were to in this case if the wife were to fall on really hard financial times as a result of a disadvantage she accrued from the marriage So, for instance, the fact that she wasn't able to work during the marriage or they made a decision that she wasn't going to work during the marriage, if that later impacts upon her, she's potentially got a claim against her former husband to increase the amount of spousal maintenance that she receives. However, I, 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 you know, my opinion, I still think the court are moving away from even this kind of mechanism. So I I can completely empathise with people that being in this position can feel really quite vulnerable yeah um and i think it's about for us helping people to really explore all the different ways that we can maximize it to make it as comfortable as possible but i think in reality what we have to remember is we've got um you know an, an equity figure and an income figure which is probably quite comfortable when you're together as one yeah. unit separating that into two can be really tricky 
I think actually just making sure that everything has been explored and all possible claims and benefits, all sorts of things are considered, are really important to make sure that everyone is as comfortable as they possibly can be. And I have to say, um, I do think instructing the right solicitor is really important in every case, but particularly this sort of case where I think actually two lawyers need to work together with the family. You know, this is not the sort of case where it's appropriate that you know you're going to be litigating it and you're going to be easily spending a chunk of that equity in the family home at court and it really you know a lot of people think that actually you know if you get a real bullish lawyer who's going to be aggressive and going to court is you know that's going to get me a great outcome actually i i find the 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 opposite is true yeah and actually if you get two really constructive lawyers who work well together and actually focus on the needs of both parties as a you know as individuals but also as a family and the children mm. and you've obviously got a couple who also share that that similar sort of mindset yeah. then you're going to you know most likely find that the best solution for them so I think in terms of the kind of third category of assets, yeah. so that would be pensions. So in this scenario, we've said that husband has a large pension. Um, so obviously it's quite quite vague. It but is. I, I, but I think <laughs> that for me, this question is much more straightforward. Yeah. This question, this case would fall into what we would deem a needs-based case. And so for me, I, I think that wife would be entitled to an equal share of husband's pension, would that be equalising incomes or capital? That's something that we would have to discuss and, and, and talk about depending on the types of pension schemes. But for me, it's quite clear that wife would, you know, have a, have a claim on the pension. I, I don't know what you think. Do you have the same view? Absolutely. I think the only thing, uh, you know, that would be, you know, absolutely what would happen. But then I think we'd need to explore how we achieve that fairness. So yeah. we'd need to understand what type of pension it, it, it is, mm-hmm. whether we'd need actuarial involvement um, and uh, in order to help the parties understand how to divide their pension up. Absolutely, yeah. um, but, but absolutely be looking at, at, at equalising that. Um, it's just how we go about ensuring that that happens appropriately. So I think Hopefully that's given you a flavour of sort of a case study and understanding how it works in practice, but you can understand there's lots of sort of competing elements to it and and also the assets interrelate because, Mm. you know, with pensions as well, uh, it may be that... um, you, you much like spousal maintenance so we talked about the fact that actually sometimes you can say well I'll have a bit more of the equity in the house instead of spousal maintenance you can do the same for pensions so actually the assets all interplay and you can say well I won't have a pension share but instead I'll have more equity in the house now we have sort of warned, warned or, or certainly said you need to take advice about that because you have to think not only about the, the now but the future as well yeah but you can absolutely interplay the assets um, but it's going to very much be a case-by-case, individual circumstance, you know, uh, it, sort of taking it taking it that way. And, and I think take, take advice at an early stage um, because, you know, even with what might look on the outset quite a standard, straightforward case, there are a lot of sort of issues that, that need to be considered. Absolutely. I think especially when people are feeling you know, generally in quite a vulnerable place, mm. you know, I, I don't think we ever lose sight of the fact that going through a divorce or separation is is really tough and actually that can people go on an emotional journey when they're going through a divorce and sometimes how you feel at the outset may not be how you feel in the middle or the end so actually having a check and balance with a legal advisor who can say things you know how you might want to look at it in the future I think can also be really important yeah absolutely